Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 257. You do need to give them the tools. And they don't, a lot of people out there in our industry are very talented and they get it. They're easily trained and they've got pride in their work and they do a good job. But there's a whole bunch of others who need the coaching and developing and training. So why not give it to all of them? Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by World Barista Champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners get on it. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Kathy Jaffe Groff. Kathy, my lady, please tell me you're feeling unstoppable today. Well, you know, Eric, that was an interesting choice of words, and I went on to a thesaurus and looked for synonyms, and a few of them resonated with me, effervescent, enthusiastic, buoyant, and those are words that I think describe how I work in the workplace and what I bring to the table. Um, and it's a little less daunting, I think, than unstoppable. <laughs> but that's where I'm coming from. Yes, I those ha- are some great acronyms. <laughs> I have a passion for the industry and for people and probably more so for people even. And so that's kind of why I'm doing what I'm doing. Awesome. I picked that up from you, Kathy, just like reading through your website and your your LinkedIn page. I love that you get joy from just seeing other people light up when they learn something new from what you've teached. And I'm sure we'll touch on that during the interview. But let me just give the listeners a huge aerial view of who you are. Then we'll get it kicking with that motivational, inspirational quarter mantra. Uh, Kathy Groff has nearly four decades experience in the restaurant industry. She has worked from the bottom up, working at nearly every conceivable position along the way. Kathy has opened a long list of restaurants in many cities and prides herself on being the keeper of concept development punch list. I can't wait to dive into that. Uh, her strengths <laughs> are profit building and cost uh accounting, developing people through coaching and training guidelines, strategic planning and operational analysis, as well as measurement tools for tracking results in every area of the business. Uh, You can discover more about her work at www.restaurantsolutionsnw.com. Obviously, just a huge uh, bird's eye view, Kathy, of who you are, uh, what you're all about. Can't wait to learn more. Let's get that inspirational motivational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra, take it away. Well, I think what I've discovered over the, and by the way, it's closer to five decades. My website is not real fresh. Um, But what I try and bring to the table with the teams that I work with, because I work with fast casual and full service and corporate people and pretty much all levels is that we really are in the people business. Mm. We happen to serve food and beverage And uh, we work with people, we report to people, people report to us. So my mantra is pretty much live your values. 
Um, I can honestly say I have never raised my voice to anybody in almost 50 years in this business, and it has no place. So treating people the way we'd like to be treated, uh, making sure that we maintain their self-esteem while still setting clear and sometimes difficult expectations, um, I always reflect back on behavior that I've seen, witnessed, or had directed at me that didn't make me feel very good, and I try and stay away from that. Would you say that is your number one uh, core value, treating people how you'd want to be treated? I would. I love it. And it's so funny that you mentioned core values and living core values because I was going for my morning run this morning uh, listening to a podcast and the topic of core values popped up. And I was like, oh, that'd be really cool to just like capture one core value from every one of my guests. Uh, so I'm happy that the first interview since having that idea, you just kind of went ahead and did it on your own. That's so cool. Um, so I love that you, you mentioned that we're in the, 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 the business of people um, in the people business. Um, can you really just dive a little bit deeper into what you mean by that? Well, you know, um, I started out as a car hop when I was 15 and I was pretty darn green and pretty young and really fed off of the diverse group of people that I had an opportunity to work with and report to and serve. And I've held a variety of positions over my career. And at a, at a crew member level, it was, I'm very social. So it was all about a social situation. You know, uh, let's, let's get our work done so we can go play. And as I moved through uh, opportunities and took into management and then 25 years ago started my own business, I realized that, one, the first time you meet with someone, whether it's for an interview for me or for them wanting to join an organization, you're dealing with, if you're in person, body language, uh, first impressions, uh, smiles, eye contact, et cetera, which is a great way to read people. Mm -hmm. And so... By realizing that we all come from different walks of life, different economic opportunities, different places in the country. You're in New Hampshire. I was raised in Hawaii. Uh, it, it all becomes to me about how to best connect in the moment mm -hmm. with whoever you're working with. Absolutely. I love so it. If I'm, yeah. If I'm coaching one-on-one -on -one with a chef, I'm probably going to keep it pretty uh, on point with task-oriented and coaching styles because they usually have such busy schedules that they don't have a lot of time to chit chat. If I'm coaching with a, a bar manager or a front of the house manager, they're usually a little more chatty. Um, oftentimes want to want to talk a little bit more about the story behind the lines and being able to read which ones are which type is helpful. As go ahead. I was gonna say as a consultant, one of my challenges and I know it's one of your questions later, but one of my challenges is uh, nobody reports to me. So um, I can come in and I can teach a team, I can hold a seminar, I can do one-on-one -on -one, uh, leadership coaching, et cetera, but realizing that when I leave the room, uh, that person does, is not accountable to me, um, so I need to use my somewhat considerable persuasive and influential skills to steer them in the direction that I think they need to head for whatever it is they're wanting to grow in. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um I love the emphasis you're putting on people. And it's so funny because when I first started this podcast, I really just wanted to learn. I really didn't 
I have a clue as I mean, I had some idea of what successful people do. I was listening to a lot of podcasts at the time, studying successful people, but there wasn't a resource for restaurant professionals to learn from other restaurant professionals what it takes specifically in the restaurant industry. And I was asking questions about decor and like all these crazy things like what makes your restaurant successful. But over time, I got away from the idea of what makes your restaurant successful and what makes you successful what is it about you the person because of what you said it's such a a high touch uh people business and there isn't a successful restaurant that doesn't have an amazing person person attached to it would you agree Mm -hmm. with that i would agree with that statement awesome so i think on that note we should probably dive a little bit more into you um you had mentioned that uh you are uh you started when you were 15 years old as a a car hop Mm-hmm. What is a car hop? Is that is that's a West Coast thing? Is that like, like somebody A and W root beer stand? Oh, okay. um, it, some places in the country they had roller skates. We did not. Like Sonic? this is in uh, kind of like yes. Okay. We were in Salt Lake City, and it was a part time job while I was in school, and it was fun. Um, it was a heady thing to be taking the bank to the to the cash to the bank mm-hmm. uh, on my shifts at the end of my shifts because I was reliable, if you will. Um, being a car hop service, when a car pulls up, you need to take their order and then you bring it to the counter and somebody produces the drinks and the, and the food. Um, on some days when it was a quiet day and we were a little short-staffed, I would have to greet the car, go in, make the malts, mm-hmm. cook the burgers or the dogs, <laughs> and get them back out. So if I got three cars, I was buried. Wow. Uh, but it was fun. And you said you did that. How long were you doing that for? About a year or so. Okay. What was your next step? I worked at a Kentucky Fried Chicken in a takeout department. Uh, again, when, well, in school, I worked uh, in a crepery restaurant. Um, after high school for a couple of years, I did a little more fine dining type service and pretty much was waiting tables um, during college. And I, have a, I, I got my real estate license and insurance license and went to work for my, for my father for a couple of years and well, it wasn't a total disaster. Let's just say it didn't work <laughs> out. And I kept the pull and the tug of the restaurant industry came back to me. Yeah. So I started with a company here from Seattle, <clears throat> Restaurants Unlimited out in Hawaii. Wait, let's let's uh, stop there real quick. You said the, the pull and the tug of the restaurant industry started coming back. Like, talk to me about that, that pull and the tug. Like, was it intentional to get back into the industry or was it by accident? Uh, no, absolutely. It was intentional. Uh, again, it's a very social industry. Mm. Um, if, you're, if you enjoy... Visiting with people, if you enjoy partying, it's it's a good way to make a good income if you're mm-hmm. good at what you do. Mm-hmm. So for fewer hours than um, some people were putting in in a nine to fiver, and a little more flexibility on schedules, which allowed us time to play on the beach and yeah. <laughs> have extra, um, you know, personal time. It was it was a great way to go, mm-hmm. um, and and I enjoyed it, you know not unlike now. While coaching, seeing the lights come on for somebody, I enjoyed uh, entertaining my sections. I mean, if I had a, a table full of visitors or guests to Hawaii and I could make their trip just that much better by kind of entertaining, walking them through what to do while they're there on the islands, what's special about our restaurant, um, how they have to try this particular drink or food item, it was, was kind of like, you know, this is like finding it. You're getting paid to do this. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm curious, like, at what point um, like you made the intentional uh, decision to go back into the industry? It sounds like you were serving. Um, at what point did you start getting to other aspects of the industry? And was there like a, a specific time you can reflect on where you made the decision to make this your career? You're your not for now job, but your forever job? 
Um, yeah, I was uh, when I got back into serving. I held many positions in the restaurant. I did some uh, hosting, and I did some bartending, and I did some busing, and I did it expediting. And um, I was probably back into it about two and a half years when my boss uh, was challenged by the company to open a restaurant in California and asked if I would like to come in and be his day manager. Mm. And so I said, well, let me think about it. Um, Hawaii to California didn't seem like a huge jump, but from sunny Hawaii to kind of smoggy Long Beach wasn't (laughs) the best I could do. Having said that, um, I had had no training in management or I'd been a supervisor there on staff for a little bit for a crew level, but uh, moved to kind of lock, stock and barrel in a couple of weeks notice over to California and spent the next couple of years working with him there where I helped him open the restaurant and was a lunch manager and then became dinner manager and then became general manager in, in about a year and a half. Wow. And then I was, I was uh, really wanted to go back to Hawaii. So I had them transfer me back to Hawaii where I opened another restaurant and spent the next many years with them as a general manager and then became a regional, oh, wow. which is when I moved back to Seattle because that's where they wanted the regionals based. And at that point in time, um, I started with one restaurant and then picked up to three and then had eventually about six months, eight months into it, had seven restaurants in my region um, in four states doing about 20 million in sales. Wow. So it was, it was a huge transition, but fun. Um, I like challenges. Uh, so I, I get. I'm curious. Mm-hmm. When did you start transitioning out of the role of being in the restaurant as a GM or a regional manager and to start really focusing more on uh, consulting and uh, outsourcing your, your value? Well, I, was, I had moved back up to here to Seattle as a regional and was here for just about two, two and a half years, and our company got sold. And um, here we go company? back to Restaurants Unlimited. Okay. Um, they're they're a, a large, uh, well-established company here in the Northwest. But back in '90, they got sold for the first time. And you know, looking at mission and core values, some of the values of the new owners uh, kind of changed the way we operated. And on one of my regional visits, uh, happened to be going to Portland, and and I was thinking in my head as I'm driving here, if it's about a three and a half hour drive, that I'm not having much fun anymore. Mm. And so I gave it a lot of thought and weighed the pros and cons and talked to one of my mentors and basically decided that I was going to give my notice. What so was, I gave them, what, go ahead. What was that, what was that value that changed that you didn't like? The, the, the one in particular was we hire the best and care about them. Wait, say that one more time. We hire the best and care about them. And you, what didn't you like about that? I love the value. I just felt that the company was not able to live it any longer. Oh, okay. So the, the core value didn't change. The the, the ability the, to deliver it did. Ah. The, the new owners didn't. The new owners were very bottom line driven, and they really didn't uh, invest as much um, or put as much investment into the training and developing and coaching of people. Mm, I see. Um, why is that so important? <laughs> because it's one of my values. And when you align yourself with a company that has the same values you do, it's a lot easier to be successful. Awesome. Thanks for diving a little bit more into that. Uh, Keep going. Mm -hmm. So I gave them uh, three or four months notice, left on very good terms, and was going to take, oh, I don't know, probably a year off and travel. And one of the other local restaurateurs here in Seattle um, contacted me and and said he needed some help. And it was, excuse me, a small company, 
but also had seven restaurants. And so I uh, came on board for him and spent about a year with him being his director of operations. And it was really a valuable learning process to go from a ginormous corporation with marketing departments, food and beverage departments, uh, human resource departments, and at that time, 32 restaurants, to working with a single owner. Um, but it was, it was uh, an experience I wouldn't trade for anything, and I wouldn't go back either. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of that year, I thought, you know, I need to do something by myself, for myself. Mm-hmm. And so I left a pretty nice secure position in the industry and decided to branch out on my own. Awesome. And that was the end of this year. It'll be 25 years ago. Wow. Awesome. Uh, great story. And I'm curious, uh, I mean, you have to reflect back at that time when you were uh, first becoming a manager and a GM, like a regional manager, uh, with all you've learned in that 25 years of researching, developing, learning, uh, if you could look back at how you were then and if you could change one thing about how you were um, managing and just leading others, like what would you do differently? Or like, was there like an aha moment that you had where it just like rocked your world? The aha moment came over many years and I'm still challenged with it. And that's being an active listener mm. because my first instinct, I process information pretty quickly is to want to solve the problem. And uh, by probing, I think probing questions has become a real friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh, asking people to go a little deeper into something and find out a little bit more about if there's anything under the surface before I offer to step up and help them solve their problem. Yeah. Uh, can you give me an example of a time you did that? Oh, gosh. I'm really digging here. Well, no, that's that's fine. I don't mind. I just right off the top of my head, I can't come up with I can I can tell you in general terms that there's been a couple of times where somebody's gotten a thought out and I've said, OK, then here's what you want to do about it. A, B, C, D, E, F. And yeah. they go, well, that's that's nice. Thank you. But that's not the problem. Uh. Oh, pardon me. Let me let me step back. And why don't you take your time and walk me through what the real problem is? And I'll listen this time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It reminds me of that uh, chapter in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. First seek to understand, then seek to be understood. And it's, Absolutely. So, it's so true of like what you say. Like Sometimes like you, you hear the initial problem, and then in your head you're trying to solve the problem while the person is probably telling you the real problem. And you're not pulling back those layers to really get at the core of what the problem is. Um, well said. I love it. Uh, so wait, tell me about this. What is this This keeper of the concept development punch list? What's that all about? Well, concept development isn't necessarily my strength, but having opened so many restaurants, I'm, I'm kind of an organizational geek and a good time manager. Mm-hmm. And so when you get a team of people, oftentimes with multiple consultants and owners and investors and operating people together, sometimes it's five of you in a room, sometimes it's 15. Um, <clears throat> excuse me my organizational thing kicks in and I want to know, okay, if we're talking about this piece of the kitchen in particular equipment, what are the components that we need? Who's going to take care of them? When is this going to happen? And so, and being a little bossy as well, I mean, I would start taking notes and I'd get to the end of it and I'd have a, you know, a four page punch list and say, okay, now let's assign the work. Who's going to do all of this? Mm. Because if it's not, if it's not a good action plan that's time limited and measurable and and delineated between a bunch of people, Mm -hmm. you don't get a chance to get everything done. The next time you get back together, it's like, oops, I forgot or somebody didn't do this. 
so I basically, it's how I've opened as many restaurants as I have. I come in and I talk with owners and, and operators and say, you know, here's what I believe you need, whether it's a Volkswagen or a Cadillac. There are some components that are pretty much core to any new restaurant operation. And here's the staffing punch list. Here's the menu punch list. Here's the financial punch list. Here's your marketing punch list. And then we kind of walk through, talk through it and assign and figure out who's going to do which piece of work. So over the years of you opening these restaurants, you've kind of created a list of your own of things that you've seen come up time and time again. And you have that list, that checklist of like hot spots that you've created. Is that what this is? I do. Yes. Ooh. And, and, and each one is, um, and each opening is, is unique to itself, but Seriously, the components are the same. You need kitchen equipment, you need bar equipment, you need training checklists, you need opening and closing checklists, you need housekeeping things, you need facility things. Um, so you have your major bullets in your checklist and you have sub-checklists underneath those bullets, I'm assuming? Correct. So let me ask you, in your experience of going in and working with these restaurants over the 25 years you're consulting, um, at the various stages you entered the process, what are the check the biggest check marks that people are missing? Uh, boy, that's that's a challenging question because they're all a little different. Well, some of the, some of the larger groups, of course, have opened restaurants before, so they have a pretty clear picture of what they need to do. They just need somebody to help coordinate it. Um, I guess the biggest answer that comes to mind would be uh, time frame and resources. Mm. What do you mean? I by have. That? I'm sorry. I was well, well, I have. Um, oh, let me let me back up a moment. Um, I'm a member of the Washington Restaurant Association uh, Preferred Advisory Committee, and there's 12 of us consultants. I happen to be uh, efficiencies and operations. We have a legal representative. We have an accounting representative. We have an HR person, etc. And part of our service to the Washington Restaurant Association is each of the members here are entitled to a half hour of our time each year as part of their membership. To each one of you. Mm-hmm. Each one of us. How many are yeah. there of you? Twelve. So that's six hours. It is. That's awesome. It, it is. And it's a nice way for us to give, give back to the members. It's a, it's a service we provide. I've been sitting on this committee for probably, I don't know, seven or eight years now. But what I, I get, I get my hands tied when someone calls and wants to ask some probing questions about their opening. And when I ask my probing questions and say, so when are you planning on opening? And they say, you know, six weeks or in one case recently, next Tuesday, didn't have a bar menu, didn't have a a bar list, hadn't finished all of their staffing things. So you have people out there in this industry who have dreams that they want to realize and a passion for what, what their vision is, but they haven't thought it through. Mm. Many of them are underfunded. Um, they don't realize the extent of outlay they're going to have from a cash perspective to get a place open, particularly with labor, their biggest expense. And so sometimes gently and I hope kindly, I try and let them know in, in a number of different comments about, have you considered this? Have you thought about this? Have you had anybody do any analysis on this? Um, because realistically, most of the openings that I've done, we've gone out between six and eighteen months, mm-hmm. and you know, and that's and that's busy work. You're you're yeah. busy the entire time, and so when somebody has small resources and small staff, and they want to open six or eight weeks from now, my guess is they're going to miss some key things. Absolutely, um, and I know the possibilities of things you can miss are just there's just so many variables out there, but. Can you like just give me like three things that to you are like no brainers or things that you just know 
are going to be something that has to be on that list that maybe somebody, if this is their first restaurant they're opening right now, they just, you, they're likely to miss these like most common mistakes that people miss. Can you think of like three items? Well, um, a financial pro forma, uh, being able to project their sales, uh, add in their labor costs, uh, line item, what I call the page two accounts, which are all a lot of the things that small new operators don't think about. Small wares, dishes and utensils, cleaning supplies, uniforms, janitorial, their utilities, rent, etc. So um, a lot of them I help through with, with a sample, what I call pro forma, which says if you're going to do XYZ in sales, let's flesh out the rest of the expenses and see where you're going to end up mm-hmm. on the bottom line. And if you aren't in the, the if you aren't in the black, then we have some areas to address. Um, that's a, a key one because the financials, how most things are measured. Mm-hmm. I would say another key one is underestimating um, the amount and the type and the quality of staff they need. Mm. Staffing Absolutely. is, in my opinion, the number one function of a, a restaurant operations team. Uh, the folks I work with who are surrounded by well-hired, fully trained, talented staff, their lives are a lot easier. It's still a challenging business, but their lives are easier. And where I actually spend a lot of my time helping folks is because they don't have the right people or they don't have enough of them or they aren't holding people accountable or they haven't well-trained them enough. Um, so the, the staffing component is huge. And I would have to say maybe as a third key component that they do their homework on um, concepts, concept, excuse me, slash location. What, what are you trying to build? Is it a fast casual? Is it a full service? How many seats are you going to have? How big is your space? Um, are you going into a space that was already four other restaurants and nobody's made it? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not superstitious, but there are places that you just go. How many more places can go in there <laughs> yeah. be, before somebody's successful? So I, I think the homework piece. So you, what you're saying, um, people go with the same concept in the same space and it's in your mind, you're like, what, how have you not figured it out? Like this isn't working here. Or do people often open a concept and don't do the, the market research to find out if that concept's going to work with their demographic? Is that something you see? It's more of the latter that you're, that you're mentioning. I think okay. people need to figure out first, what is it they're trying to bring to the marketplace Two, what is their demographic? Who are they going to serve? And are there enough of them? Mm. What's their price point going to be um, with regards? And it's kind of a two-part question. Maybe this the maybe it should be a fourth topic would be the location and facility. Um, is there parking? Is it near to anything? Mm. Um, how are people going to get to and from work? And how are your guests going to get to and from there? Um, so I think location, the old location, location, location yeah. is still put into play. Um, I've seen some operators who have had B or C locations who have done quite well because they've had a great concept and a great staff and a great product. But for the most part, it's a kind of a tied up package with a ribbon. You, yeah. you have to do all your homework. And it's so funny that you mentioned this uh, parking and like this this list of items people overlook. And I just recently had on the show. Um, oh, why am I? His name is escaping me. Hold on one sec. It's um, I got it right here. Mike Gibbons was on the show and he was talking about how he had this great location uh, right next to a gym, plenty of parking. But when do people go to the gym? <laughs> early morning. In, early morning and right after, or work, after work, which yeah. is the same time they eat. 
And he, sure. they, they didn't have, like, they were competing with the gym. People get, you know, at the gym from 4.30, and they go until 6.30, and there was no parking available. So mm-hmm. that's just an example of why having a checklist like this and creating it, like, to look at every detail, like, there isn't a detail that's that you can overlook. And 6 to 18 months is, like you say, just the busy work of going through and doing your due diligence to make sure that there isn't uh, a rock that's left unturned. Um, mm-hmm. And it seems like a lot, but you know, what kind of investment are you putting into this? How maybe even up to orders of millions of dollars investment to have it flop? Like there Absolutely. isn't, yeah, there isn't a rock that's not worth turning over. Uh, really interesting. And I, I have to admit, when you were talking about the number one thing, the number one thing that people overlook or under uh, value is people. My, I started squirming in my seat because I, I love, <laughs> I couldn't agree more with you that people to, like, like you said earlier, going back to the very first thing you said, we are in this business. This is the people business. And if you want, <laughs> and if you want to attract people to yourself, how do you do that? Well, and the, and another component of that is unless you are really an expert in all facets of your proposed operation, you need a kitchen presence, whether it's a chef or a kitchen manager or talented sous chefs or line cooks with your guidance or whatever it is, you you need to have a key person in the kitchen component. You need to have a front of the house person. You need to have someone who's out pressing flesh, uh, directing crew and, you know, making sure that operations run well. You need to have someone who is marketing for you. And in, in this newer day and age, I'm not nearly as familiar as I would have been had I been 30 years younger is the social media piece Mm -hmm. who's hand who's handling your communication uh, to let people know what it is you're offering out there. And so you get a small operator. Traditionally, I have a real small budget to work with and yet they don't have the resources. Mm. You get a larger operator who, who actually hires a kitchen team and a front of the house team and a GM and a chef, et cetera. But they also have to have somebody providing them direction Mm. There's a lot of owners who are really good visionaries who are terrible operators. Mm, absolutely. So what's what's the one thing that these people – well, let me ask you. What do you think that these small operators are doing wrong that they could emulate from the big operators? Well, I think that, that reality check, knowing that they, they don't know what they don't know. Mm. So if they happen to be members, for instance, of the Washington Restaurant Association, which we have something like 3,500 members here in Seattle – they need to use their tools. They can go online. They have a hero manual, which gives them information on how to hire people and interview questions and things to stay away from. They have resources available to them with their membership that so many of them don't tap into. Mm. And maybe it's because of pride. Maybe it's because they aren't aware the tools are there. Um, I usually suggest when I actually meet with someone face-to-face or by phone um, for their complimentary time, which turns out usually to be 45 minutes or an hour or whatever it takes, I mentioned to them that, you know, with your membership, you also have access to a lot of tools. Uh, you need to get in and, and find out about them mm-hmm. and use them. I mean, they're, they're already paid for. Absolutely. Uh, I'm curious. Um, I want to put a pause here to gather my thoughts because there's so many great directions we can go in and I don't know <laughs> which direction to go in. <laughs> Um, well, it's it's a little hard to encapsulate half yeah. a century. Yeah, you're um. giving us such great advice. Um, let's go back to this this talk about people. Um, I feel like because because it's the number one function in your words that people overlook. 
Um, where do we start? Give us a few, um, you know, checks. If I'm looking at your people checklist, what are the things that you're checking off your box when you're looking at people, when you're developing a system to acquire people, like walk my listeners through what you would do if you were trying to surround yourself with great people. I would have a very defined staffing selection, hiring, training, review process for my people. So what do you mean Um, by that? Well, I mean, I have a staffing book that I put together for most of my clients, one for crew and one for manager, and it runs through a critical staffing function checklist, if you will, no shortcuts. You need to have some screening interview tools, I believe. You need to have second interview tools, and I'll I'll go into a little more detail. And then you need a job offer, you need reference checks, you need training programs, Um, you need uh, post-training reviews, you need performance appraisals, and a lot of folks in the industry think, you know what, I'm pretty good at just sitting across the table from somebody and assessing whether they're going to be good for me. Mm -hmm. The problem is, particularly when you get into a larger operation where you might have 100 or more crew, Mm -hmm. is what is it you're hiring for? Um, So if I, for instance, I'm working with someone and say, what are the criteria you're looking for in a post? Well, I want somebody who's professional, hospitality-oriented. I want them to be a team player. I want them to be a good communicator. I want them to be organized. Yeah. (laughs) And so that is uh, maybe the criteria for the host, and then I develop questions around those so that in the interview process you can get answers about whether they truly are hospitality-oriented, whether they are team players, et cetera. If you're putting together those same criteria for a prep cook, they're going to be totally different. You want pride in a workstation. You want someone who's organized. You want someone who can work unsupervised because prep cooks mostly work solo. Mm-hmm. You need someone who is dependable and reliable. You need someone who can handle knives. And so as I work with folks out there, a lot of them say, well, I've got a pretty good instinct and people all sit across the table from decide if I want them to be hired or not. And so I sit across from Eric and I say, Wow, I really you're very personable, you're you're a good communicator. I think you'd be a great fit here. And then I, I walk over and I talk to Todd and Todd comes off totally different as a personal a personality, but I haven't got specific questions, so now I'm winging it with him and then my manager is talking to Amy who's thinking that she's pretty good, but we don't have any standards. So I'm a huge fan, particularly with staffing, in setting up and using tools so that for instance, if you have two dozen applicants and you have your staff asking the same basic questions of all of them, you're going to get the best fit for your spot. Mm. And the criteria change depending on whether you're full service or fast casual, formal, whatever, um, so that you get people who are going to fit the type of person you're looking for. You can have a server who's fabulous and has been a dozen years in fine dining, and you put them in a fast casual hot wing place, and they might not be a fit. So I think that the different components in the staffing arena are really important. A lot of people hire somebody well, but then they don't get them well trained yeah. or they and train them and they too. don't. I, I agree. Like they stop it. They like, oh, you're awesome. But then they don't, our job as owners and managers are to serve into to serve our team, to, to give them the tools, the knowledge so they can do their best job. And I think people stop that. They don't they don't provide the tools. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. It is our job to provide the tools to do the job. And if that's partly training, if it's uh, physical pieces of of, uh, 
China, silver. I mean, how many times have I run into somebody who can't serve an iced tea correctly because they don't have an iced teaspoon? Mm-hmm. Uh, so y- you do need to give them the tools. And they don't, a lot of people out there in our industry are very talented and they get it. They're easily trained and they've got pride in their work and they do a good job. But there's a whole bunch of others who need the coaching and developing and training. So why not give it to all of them? Absolutely. And so your, your best people get better and you challenge them to get better. And the ones that can't keep up or are choosing not to, you weed out. Or they just naturally, uh, they, they, like my favorite saying, one of my favorite sayings is that cream rises. And if you're always hiring, you're always putting new people into that funnel, um, the cream's going to rise. And those people that, that lose the, the, the passion or the drive or they just don't have the right attitude will naturally filter out. Um, ab- absolutely. I think everything we do in this business is about measuring. Mm-hmm. Did, did we hit a sales goal? Did we hit a food cost goal? Um, are these people growing, progressing, et cetera? I'm a huge fan of posting information for the staff. For instance, you've got 12 servers. Let's put all their average guest check sales up there on the board. Mm-hmm. Because if the person on the bottom is on the bottom on the bottom and can't be coached through it, then they probably need to be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And it, I'm a caring person, but I'm also a tough manager because I set the bar pretty high, train the work, Set the clear expectation first, then train the work, and then hold them accountable. Mm. And it's a fairly simple process for managing people. No, that's, Not easy. It's funny because I can't remember who said it or how they said it, but in a roundabout way, they said restaurants are easy because you can manage every part of it. There's, every, there's no part of a restaurant that you don't have control over. Um, would you agree with that statement? Mm, not entirely. I think the things that are in your court you have control over. Mm-hmm. I would have to think about unruly guests or things with the facility uh, that you might be leasing that are problems, leaky pipes, mm-hmm. plumbing issues, etc. But you can put but a protocol think- and weigh, and like you can create protocols and things to to handle those situations. If this, then what? You know, absolutely. Um, and I am, I'm right there with you. I don't know if I entirely agree with that, that statement because there, I think there is the unpredictable. There is no two nights are exactly the same, but also where do you draw the line, Kathy? Like, I feel like if you, cause the reason why I'm asking this is cause you said the word measure that you're really big into measuring things. And, mm-hmm. and I can tell you're into, I am assuming you're into standardization in systems, processes, procedures, protocols, all those things. But at what point do you start losing the heart, losing the character of your restaurant when you shove too many of these systems into your restaurant? Well, you would be describing what some of the small say is. I don't want a corporate environment. Like you, and you I, were there one day. You, I, I, yeah, I would, I would correct them and say what I'm suggesting you put in place here are systems, procedures, guidelines. What do we do if? And you train it, and then you let, and then you trust people to make the best decisions they can. And you realize, and I think the number we've grown up with is out of every hundred guests, you're going to have three who are going to be unhappy about something. That's fine. So we're not perfect people. It's how we handle the three that are unhappy that sets us apart from others. Mm-hmm. Did we make it right? Did we fix it? Did we listen to the guests? Did we either invite them back? Did we pick up their tab? Did we do a little value added? Did we just listen? Mm-hmm. Um, did we own the responsibility? Because most guests who are unhappy, I've learned, just want to vent. Mm-hmm. And we have too many managers out there, particularly young, inexperienced, untrained managers who want to be right. Mm-hmm. Well, here's mm-hmm. the reason why. Or no, you don't understand. It's like, you know, but whose we fault screwed is up. That? Whose fault is that that they don't do it right? I mean, at what point? Well, they, Sorry, go ahead. They haven't been trained. Exactly. Thank you. 
<laughs> so yes. it's, it's, it's frustrating because we always point the finger. We always want to point the finger and blame outside variables. But at the end of the day, it's those people who take ownership and they, they take the time to develop these young people and give them the knowledge and give them the right attitude to, to set that culture, to, to really engrave it into your brand uh, that are Ab- do amazing absolutely. things. Absolutely. And, and you have to determine, you have to be very clear up front as an owner or operator what is your brand? What is your concept? What is your style of service? And, and how would you like to present that to the guests? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because you, a lot of people will come back if the food wasn't great, but people are less likely to come back if they've had either crappy service or rude service. Or I mean, I can remember one time I, I dine out a lot myself, um, particularly at lunch, so I can measure places and, and see what's going on. And I went into a vegetarian place one time, and I asked my server, his, his greeting wasn't, you know, how are you today? Could I get you a lemonade or something? It was, are you ready to order? And I said, no, actually, I have a couple of questions. What would you recommend on the menu? His comment was, me? I don't eat here. <laughs> and it's the first and only time in the industry when he says, so now do you know what you want? And I said, yes, I'd actually like another server. Oh, man. Good answer. <laughs> and I mean, I, w- I was a little embarrassed by it, but I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and pay for this experience. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it, it, and I, I say shame on the place who hasn't worked in there. Yeah. Oh, man. Awesome stuff. Um, whoa, real quick, uh, just a quick call to action. Uh, people, you just shared a ton of advice with us, specifically on uh, setting up those checkpoints, uh, the, the different gates on hiring, the, the different tiers, um, the filters you put in place. Is there one uh, book or one resource, uh, a website that comes to mind where we can go and kind of get some guidance on that before moving on? Oh, well, mine's not completely finished yet, the one that I'm going to retire to. Um, I w- you know, it's a great question. I would suggest that people reach out to their uh, restaurant associations in their local environs, because I think the, the, the Washington Restaurant Association, as well as the, the U.S. Restaurant Association, have lots of tools available if somebody actually follows them. Um, you know, I know in one of your questions was, you know, what one book should we read, which is similar to this in, in comment. And I pulled out Ken Blanchard, uh, One Minute Manager, Ooh. and the series, because personally, I don't like to read through a bunch of books to learn how to operate. I'd like to do it hands on. Yeah. And the One Minute Manager is such a quick read. And they have the One Minute Manager. They have the One Minute Manager meets the monkey. They have the 59 second employee. And I, I pulled it up the other day our conversation and they've had a lot of spin-offs and other things but I guess my point is is if you can get a, a, a little gem out of something that your crew can go through in 25 or 30 minutes or a manager can it's it's pretty powerful stuff yeah for sure uh, this has been awesome we're at 45 minutes already I can't believe how fast time's going we're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsor and then we'll be right back okay When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. 
Click the tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your restaurant unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. All right. We are back. And the first question I have for you, Kathy, is uh, which habit, trait, characteristic do you believe most contributes to your success in the restaurant industry? I would say my genuine caring for people and my direct, candid approach. I love it. Uh, Why is caring so important? Real quick. If you don't care, it's hard to train. I think it was uh, David Hayden said this, quote unquote, your people won't care about what you know until they know how much you care. Absolutely. <laughs> and and frankly, if you don't care about it, then why should they? Yeah. It's so powerful just to, when you show up and you, you show you when you genuinely, authentically care about somebody, what can happen, how far they'll go for you. And you know, this this podcast has slowly evolved into a personal growth podcast because I've learned that you can do all the systems right. You can have everything in order, but if you're a D bag, pardon my language, mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It, it, you it, the journey to success in the restaurant industry is really an inward journey of just becoming an, an amazing good person uh, and caring and doing whatever it takes to take care of your people. Um, and I truly believe that. Well, and I also believe caring means having the tough conversations, setting the expectations, even if you know they're going to be a challenge to reach, making sure that you're giving people feedback, good and bad. I'm a huge reward and per- person. Um, you knock it out of the park, you're going you're gonna to win. Mm-hmm. And if you surround yourself with people who are doing exemplary work, you're going to get a better result. Yeah. And when, you know, you're, if you're, if people are doing bad work and you're not confronting them on it, uh, you're not being nice. You're not doing them any favors. That's not caring. Uh, that's a good way to think about it, too. Well, and here's the other thing. Uh, as management, you're in a position to remove someone who's not performing. Mm-hmm. There's not really much the rest of their fellow staff can do about it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. So what is your biggest weakness? And we kind of already touched over, over this earlier, but really like drive it home. Ah, making sure that I communicate a little more slowly at times. I think everybody is pretty clear on my expectations when I'm working with them, but I tend to talk fast and process information fast, and I sometimes watching body language realize that I've left the team behind. So, uh, you know, taking my time, asking probing questions, making sure that people understood Mm-hmm. And one thing you said earlier is uh, listening and understanding others before trying to be understood. And I think that's uh, th- the majority of, of communication. It's a it's a two way street of understanding, listening, and then communicating. And I think I just want to put more emphasis on that because I think a lot of people just want to be heard and don't want to listen. Well, and the other the other shoe on the foot there is the approachability, mm-hmm. being being approachable so that people can come to you with a problem and know they're not going to get their head snapped off. Absolutely. Awesome. That that that's trust. Yes, I love it. So great. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? By example. Mm, I love it. Give me an example of a time you led by example. Well, I think. Uh... I preached for quite a while that we needed to all grow in our position. And this was back when I was a general manager and I had a manager working with me in a Hawaii store. And 
uh, as a take charge, goal-oriented person, I had always owned our promotions each year and we were going to do a chocolate promotion. And I uh, had one of my managers come up and she asked if she could take it this year. And I thought, hmm, okay. We were working on delegation at the time. And I said, sure. So I said, she says, so she asked me a few probing questions. What's my budget? What's my time frame? What are my parameters? And I outlined them. And then she said, great, I'll get back to you. And it drove me crazy each week. How are you doing on the chocolate promotion, Julie? How are you doing on the chocolate promotion? And she kept going, I'm fine. And it was a very hard lesson for me. But I realized if you're going to practice what you preach, you need to trust and give them the information and let them run with it. She put on a hell of a chocolate promotion. It was very different than I would have done. Um, and it was highly successful. And so I think my aha moment out of that in leadership is there are many different ways to get a good result. Awesome. Um, you keep on saying this word trust. And this is, uh-huh. I'm going off script here. I'm going off our, our series of questions. But what's the best way to develop trust? Be honest. Mm. Be candid in what you're looking for and asking for. Support. Um, when someone knows that you've got their back, regardless of whether they screwed up, they'll kill for you. Mm. I love it. Awesome stuff. Um, what is one question or thing that you're looking for during the interview process? I usually ask them why specifically they're interested in working at this particular location. And there's no right answer to that, but what are you looking for? Well, I'm not looking for what I've got a lot in the past of, oh, well, I'm turning in uh, applications all up and down the street. (laughs) Or, oh, gosh, I'm, um, you know, I need a job. Probably the best way to answer that would be the ones who have come in and said, you know, I've wanted to work here since I was 16 and I'm now old enough to. Mm. And then we can talk a little bit about what they think they're they're seeing about the place and what they're getting into. If if they're if they've targeted us specifically and want to be part of our team, that always uh, gains a lot of ground with me. And see, that's funny because uh, I think a lot of restaurants don't give people a reason to want to work there, mm-hmm. and they expect that just because I'm paying you, you should just show up and be happy and grateful that you're making money. Uh, mm-hmm. So what's one thing we can do to make somebody want to come work for us? Like what's give me an example of somebody that you've worked with that just has buckets of people, you know, dumping like just dump, dumping buckets of people at their front door every day just to, to join the team. What why do they want to join that team? Um I would say the culture and values come back into play and what's your work environment? I mean, you can make money pretty much anywhere in this industry if you're any good at what you do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I always let them know that their opinion is valued, that we expect them to develop with us, that we will give them additional responsibilities and rewards and schedules and opportunities if they would like to be part of the team. But I'm pretty clear in the bars up here, if you want to play, you have to play by the rules Mm -hmm. and you have to be dependable and you're either on the bus or you're not. Mm. Awesome stuff. Um, So are you currently working with any uh, restaurants? Like, do you have any clients right now? Oh, yeah. And no... Can you think of a challenge, a common challenge that they're they're dealing with, and how are you helping them deal with that? Uh, well, you inter- interviewed Jerry, uh, Anderson, Jeremy Anderson at Consolidated. Yes, and, and that's how I uh, connected with you. That's how you found me. Yeah. Yes. I've worked with them for about 18 years, um, and they have so many different components of fast, casual, and full service, and 
do a great job with their operations. I would say their biggest challenge is they share with the rest of the people here in Seattle is between the minimum wage, the paid sick leave, the Obamacare, the scheduling challenges that are coming up uh, right now is trying to figure out how to continue to maintain your bottom line versus watching it erode as all the new legislative changes come in. And what's your advice to help somebody maintain that bottom line? I mostly, um, I'm pretty good at financials, so I mostly ask if there's opportunities to save in other line items that might be wasteful. Uh, usually it's in some labor savings, being a little more productive and, and scrutinizing your numbers a little better. Sometimes it's just asking, probing questions, have you thought of this, have you thought of this, have you thought of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and helping them understand that turnover is very expensive, that uh, each time you lose somebody for whatever reason, you takes a while and a lot of money to get back up to speed productivity wise. Mm-hmm. And so part of it's listening, part of it's keeping uh, current with some of the issues in the industry. And by, by sitting on the, the WRA advisory group, I get a lot of current information that's helpful. Mm-hmm. If there's like two areas aside from um, being better with the schedule and making the most use of that time, like closing the gaps there, where do you see people, uh, where, where, where are the best places to to make up for this increased expense that's coming down the road? Eliminating overtime. Okay. It's a big one. Um, some places, because of their volume changes during summer and things, end up into a fair amount of overtime. Not necessarily all preventable, but, you know, at an extra half a buck an hour, it's it's uh, it adds up. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other is, I guess, drilling down, peeling the onion back, looking at how your schedules work combined with your uh, budget mm-hmm. so that you can do what I call a manning graph and you can say, okay, I need eight servers and this one comes in at this time and this time by taking all the names out of it and just saying this is the work that needs to be done. You can bring this person in a half hour later. You can get this person out an hour earlier, but it has to be daily managed mm. and and it has to be managed in a positive manner, not running around the floor saying, hey, cut labor, cut labor. It's got to be, okay, we have a plan for sales. We exceeded them. We didn't spend extra dollars, and it flowed through the bottom line, and that's really what you're looking for. Would you say that probably one of the best tools that you can implement into your restaurant is a labor management resource? I do. Hot schedules, um, any kind. There's a lot of good management systems that I'm not as technologically up on, but however it works, if you can get people looking at the information and then reacting to it is Mm. the key. Okay, what's one thing besides food uh, that one of the restaurants you're working with does really well that separates them from other restaurants? Atmosphere. Mm. Um, and when I say that, I mean by the, the people. not necessarily, I mean, the, the facility, it helps if it's attractive and clean and fresh as well. But uh, a genuine greeting when you come in, a genuine thank you when you leave, a server being well-trained, um, not only technologically, but also knowing their product and being able to help guide me through the menu and either reinforce a choice I've made or steer me in a different direction. Um, people who care about their place, you know, when your server looks crisp and they don't they have a clean apron on and they look like they actually did their hair and nails for the day, um, and the male's clean-shaven. If you have a beard, great, because I love beards. But if you are not supposed to have one, you know, shave. <laughs> so I, I think people, you know, putting the, making sure somebody's wandered through in a checklist of the manager or something to make sure you're ready to open and there's not trash outside and the windows are clean. Um, so for me, the food is, I, I love food and, and I cook, but there's a lot of places that do good food. 
Mm-hmm. So I want I want to genuinely feel warm and well cared for while I'm there. Awesome. Hey, Kathy. Yes. Have you seen my beard? I have. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I think it's great. Eric the Red, I'm sure that's not a first time you've heard. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Um, no, that's great. <laughs> so uh, what is one book? You already mentioned the One Minute Manager, so we can dive deeper into that. Uh, what's like, take, give me like one just massive lesson that is like, that just most resonated with you from that book. It takes no time at all to catch people doing things right. Mm. And really dive into that. Well, you have to, once if you catch them doing things right, they, they specifically, they want to do more things right because they're going to hear from you again in a positive manner. Mm-hmm. And so the more you compliment people on doing something well, the more likely they're going to be to select something that they do well again so that they can get a compliment. I mean, yeah. we're people. We like pats on the back. And it literally takes no time. You could be walking by somebody and just acknowledging and saying, Absolutely. Maggie, way to go. That looks amazing. Like that's exactly how you want it done. You can do that while you're walking. You don't have to stop it. It will, and it will impact that person's day so much. Absolutely. And if you think about server assistance busters in the industry, you think about somebody says, you know, a manager says, Hey, nice job, Bob. You did a good job today. And Bob goes, thanks boss. And the next day, Hey Bob, nice job. What does that really mean? If you can get specific with Bob and say, hey, the way you broke down that 16 top into four tops so we could seat some more guests was so quick and, and detailed today, I really appreciate that. Um, your bus station is looking spectacular. It's, it's visible to the guest, and I so appreciate you having enough pride in your job to keep it looking good. Mm-hmm. Um, now Bob's going to be doing more specific things to get more positive feedback. Absolutely. So and it's, it's easy. Absolutely. So what is one piece of technology uh, – you've adopted or one of your restaurants that you're working with has adopted that has really just uh, influenced their operations in a positive, great way. You know, not being an ops and not being a techie, I'm a big fan of, of texting, but having said that all of my clients use open table mm-hmm. and I think it's a real good system as long as it's managed. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them allow, you know, X, Y, Z percentage of, of their slots seats to be open for open table people to, for guests to go in and book on their own. It's, it cuts down on your phone time. It cuts down on, on uh, number of people you have to have on staff. But I think being managing open table as well is important. Managers need to go in and, and if it's, you know, been a slow week, they need to free up some spaces. And if it's been a busy week and they've been running too long awaits, they need to close out some. And so it needs to be managed like anything else, but I think it's a great tool. Great. Awesome. Yeah, it's been mentioned a bunch of times. And I think a lot of people, the 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 issue they have with OpenTable is when they're not using it to its fullest capability. I mean, it, it can be a great tool. It can bring you uh, – the, the return on investment can be great, but only if you use it. Like a, um, Absolutely. Exactly. So um, what is one piece of knowledge? If you could go back in time, uh, give yourself one piece of knowledge that would improve your career, what would that piece of knowledge be? Wow, improve my career. You don't ask any tough ones, do you? <laughs> um, you know, without going into detail, I think if I could do it all over again, with a couple of my clients, I would have been a little less casual and gotten some things in writing contractually for what our agreements really were. Um, I'm a pretty much a handshake person, and if I say I'm going to do this, I'm going to deliver, and if you say you're going to do that, you're going to deliver. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would change that 
and be a little more concrete on a couple of the projects I've been on. Absolutely. And you're a consultant. You're, you're using this as an, a piece of advice as a consultant, but it's so true for restaurant owners too, because uh, you can just get burned so easy. Um, mm-hmm. Even just like when it comes to like real estate or, you know, uh, there, there's the possibilities are endless really where getting something in writing can really save your keister. So awesome Absolutely. stuff. Um, what is one question I could have asked you, Kathy, that would have provided more value to this interview? You know, I think you've covered the bases pretty well. I mean, you've done your homework. You've obviously um, been listening as your guests have given you information. It's it's uh, in your case. I feel similarly as a consultant. You know, people people pay me, and I learn every day. And it's kind of nice to add tools to your toolbox. Awesome, great. So I wouldn't change anything. I appreciate that. That's good news. All right, so uh, you've been awesome. We wrap up every episode by calling somebody out that's how i found you jeremy anderson called you out and i'm glad that he did because you were so awesome so who's one person you want to call out today um i actually have two names great one is joanne schmidt all right and tell me more about joanne she's the director of operations with a local company here neighborhood grills and lunchbox laboratories and um, maybe when we're off the air, I have contact info for you. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And the other person would be Deborah, D-E-B-R-A, Hermanson, H-E-R-M-A-N-S-E-N. And she's a regional manager with the restaurant company that I spent 15 years with when I be- went from crew member to regional. And both these ladies um, are highly talented in different ways. Awesome. And I think they'd both be a great addition to your show. Joanne, Deborah, look out. I'm coming after you. I would love to land you as guest mentors on the show. And Kathy, let the folks at home know how can we connect with you if we want to pick up the conversation, if we want to uh, maybe just connect, follow your work, or hire you as a consultant. What's the best way to connect? Well, um, I've got my website that you gave information on to begin with. If anybody wanted to reach out, um, I would be happy to respond to them. As I had, had mentioned, I'm in the process. It probably won't be done for another six to eight months, but I'm in the process of, of putting most of my tools um, online so that I can step back from operations and expand my uh, market base a little bit. Cool. Um, but a little early for that, but currently the, the website information that you have is probably the best way. Beautiful, and I'll have those... Uh that website in the show notes uh, and I'm pretty sure your email and everything is right there at the website. So just head over to restaurantsunstoppable.com slash two five seven. You'll find the links to uh, everything that Kathy recommended and to our website and to a summary of today's discussion right there. Two five seven Kathy. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to uh, make us all just a little bit better. There's no questioning. You are unstoppable. Eric, it's been my pleasure. (laughs) Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. What an awesome interview with today's guest, Kathy Chaffee Groth. Uh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, I, I feel like what really... Uh, resonated with my heart today was uh, Kathy's advice on people, on just on making it about the people and developing people and emphasizing that people are your most valuable asset. Uh, and just to not really uh, budge 
when it comes to developing your people uh, and going through those uh, steps and, and s- establishing those standards for every role of every person, you know, in your restaurant uh, and really not budging from those standards. Uh, and also knowing that uh, you might have some great people, but they need to be trained. And if they don't know what they're doing, don't blame that person. Look in the mirror and ask if you're doing everything you can possibly do to give your team the tools they need to be successful. Be a servant leader. And that's what I got uh, today. Leading by example, taking care of your people, uh, creating that trust among your people. Awesome stuff. Thank you, Kathy. I had a blast talking with you today. Um, Like always, guys, please support the show. There's a few ways you can do it. Uh, First and foremost, just leave those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio. And always uh, use my links if there's a product or service that you uh, want to implement in your restaurant. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable. uh, Find the links in the show notes and use my links. Or email me directly, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I'll make that connection for you. And um, simply using my links to act on the advice of my guests will really support the show. And then lastly, don't forget those 15-minute one-on-one chats. Uh, I know a lot of people. I've interviewed over 250 guests now, and I I can help you connect with the right people that will uh, you know be there to support you in opening your restaurant or making your restaurant better. So just schedule that chat. Can't wait to, to learn more about you. All right, guys, that's it. Until next time, peace out.